in Perak Chavches Pasuk Dalad, the Torah tells us the Eilah Begadim Asher Yasu. These are the Begadim that should be made for the Kayin for the Kayin Gadol. Chayshen Be'Efayit. The Chayshen is the breastplate. The Efayit is the apron which was attached to the Chayshen. And Rashi says something very interesting. Rashi says, and if you're a student of Rashi, you would automatically raise your eyebrow at this lotion of Rashi. Leishamati v'loimatsasi bebraisa pirish tabnisai. I didn't hear and I didn't find anywhere in the Brisa, which discusses the various ways of making the Kalim and the Mikdash, I didn't find anything. I have no evidence to determine exactly what the Ephod looked like. The other Kalim had a very uh, identifiable character that's brought in Chazal. I was not able to find anything throughout the Brisa's nowhere what the Ephod looks like. It's a funny lashon that he's using, like shamati, like matzasi, and then he says, But my heart tells me, that it's probably something that was tied from the back. It sort of looked like an apron. It was something that was tied on the back and the width of the actual aphide was the width of the back of a man. And it's similar to the riding dresses that the noble women wear when they ride on horses. That's probably what the aphide looked like. A strange Rashi. Rashi starts out and says, Lai matsasi, lai shamati, I don't know. And then he says, Levi Aimerli. My heart tells me, I have no evidence for this, but my inclination, my, uh, my, my I, have a, I just have a hunch that it's something that looks like the clothing that women riders, chashava saras, the officers, women officers, when they're riding their horses, they wear a certain thing. It looks like a, somewhat like an apron. You tie it on the back and it's chashav and that's what the aphid probably looks like. Very, very bizarre. This Rashi. Rashi has no proof for anything. He's just saying it. It's a, le- it's a hunch. And that is how Rashi is telling Ladar Dairis that this is what I think it is. So, this is something, a pshat, that I would not say on my own. But it's something that I found in a safer that's malakate, um, veritlach of a lot of Hasidish Arabis. And I'll be honest, I don't know this Rebbe in particular, I've never heard of, but it's in a safer which is reliable, and I'm sure Hasidim would know who this is. His name is Rabbi Yechiel Meir from a place called Gustinin. And he says a pshat, and it's a fascinating pshat, and again, I mean, it's something that you have to you know, by Hasidim especially, you, know, you have to have a lot of Munas uh, Chachamim to believe and to understand a lot of a lot of certain Beretloch. But this is what he says, and I'm going to share it with you, and um, and you could choose for yourself whether or not you like the pshat. He says 
that Rashi sat in his base madrash. And Rashi never, you know, looked outside of the Dalai Rashi was sitting in his little base madrash. We have pictures and models of what Rashi's base madrash looked like. You can go to the city of Worms in Germany and they, uh, they, the actual base madrash, I think, was destroyed, uh, during the war. But they rebuilt it and there was, uh, you could see where Rashi's base was in the middle of Yopitz. I went, I never went to Worms, but I went to a city not far from Worms called Michelstadt. There's a famous kever of the Baal Shem of Michelstadt. A lot of people fly to, to Germany, Hasidim, by the, by the hundreds, flock to his kever to, um, because he's supposed to be a, a very big Baal Shem. He had the ability to uh, bring Yeshua. So a lot of people go, I believe as the art site is on Sam Gedalia, then it's like packed. Germany, you know, it's all, it's, it's uh, tons of Hasidim go to Misbal. When I went there, there were, uh, also, there was like a, a few Haredim, Hasidim that were, that were there. It's Mamish in the middle of nowhere. And Worms is probably even more in the middle of nowhere. Somewhere in the German countryside. And Rashi sat in his little base madrash, and he never picked his head up. You know, we, I'll speak about myself, you know, you, you know, you get a text, you get a buzz, you get a beep, like, and you're right away, like, you're between the Gemara and the, and, and your phone and, and, you know, and everything else going around, going on around you. But Rashi wasn't like that. Rashi was very, very focused. And Rashi was sitting in a, in, in Mamish, the Elamis El Yainim, in his little base medish and worms, learning Tyra, teaching Tyra, and he never, ever, like, looked outside of his Dalad Amis when he was learning and in general one day for whatever reason he was sitting in his base madrash and you know his eyes started gazing outside the window momentarily and he saw that there were riders women riders women officers that were I'm sure as Tznias as Tznias could be don't worry about any Tznias issues but there are women riders that were riding on their horses and they're wearing these, these types of garments and, you know, that were, that looked wide in the front and then there was a, a tie in the back. And this bothered Rashi very, very much because Rashi was never nichshal in anything. And all of a sudden, his eyes should lead him to see outside of a window, see women riders, sarais, rotves, halasusim, and he didn't understand why he would, why the Rabbanishon would be mamsi him such a thing, and he was bothered by it. And then when he came to the parsha of Aphid, and he couldn't find any brysis, and he couldn't find any evidence of how these Aphids looked, all of a sudden it clicked that maybe when he saw those sarais that were Reichweis al outside of his window, and it troubled him why the Rabbi Shalom would make him be, quote-unquote, nichshal in such a mare. He says it must be that the Rabbi Shalom was sending him a signal that this is the tablis ha'efeid. This is the way the ephod must have looked. It must be that it had exactly the characteristics of the garments that I saw, unfortunately, on those saris, the system, that's the Eifai. And the Rabbi Nishalom showed me that so that I should know and I should teach Ladar Dairis what the Eifai looked like. Now, 
it's a hard shot to say for a hundred reasons. The least of which is because what was bothering him was that Rashi should say Li Bi Li, and he himself is saying what Li Bi Aimer Li about Rashi's Li Bi Li. I mean, what makes what makes his Hashara better than you know? Why is it better for him to say Li Bi Li than Rashi? But this is his chat. This is how he learned Chan Rashi. And you know, if you read Rashi enough times and you think about it, you know, it, it might even fit in. But what I wanted to take from this chat, assuming that it's that it's accurate, is that there's a very important lesson I believe that we could learn from this. And that is that throughout life we experience a lot of things and we see a lot of things and we read a lot of things and things happen to us, events and sometimes these events are troubling sometimes they are they, they haunt us sometimes they confuse us and we don't know exactly what to do with it now, many times we pass off things as being mikra. We don't really, you know, think that it's anything significant. It's just, you know, it just happened to happen. It didn't mean anything. What we learned from this shot from a Yuchil Mayor of Gustinin, is that everything that happens to us happens for a reason. Everything that we see with our eyes, everything that we experience in life, is not happenstance. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us messages constantly. It's up to us to be able to be on a madrega to realize what the messages are and to interpret these messages. But everything that happens to us happens for a reason. And we are obligated to try to learn lessons from these things and not to ignore it and not to write it off as just happenstance as mikra, but rather as something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed and arranged to happen in order for us to know something. Know something about ourselves, know something about our future, know something about our lives, about other people's lives. Everything is from Hashem. I saw once that the Lashon of Mikra, Mem Kuf Reish He, which means just by chance, if you jumble the letters around, spells Rachme Hashem. Everything is from Hashem. Everything. There's no such thing as Mikra. Mikra is a, is a Gaisha concept that things happen randomly. And in fact, because of this notion of randomness, the whole apicursus of the world, of, you know, of evolution, and how things could happen in a random way, develop. Because, you know, that's the, the whole bedrock of, of, of evolution is basically you have to assume that things happened in a random way and that set off, you know, the Big Bang and things just happened to happen and, and that's how we have planet Earth with all of the various millions and billions of perfection in, in nature and in humans and in, in the atoms and the molecules and everything, but it's random. It's all random. Don't believe anything. It's not, there's no seed there. There's no masad there. Everything is random. It's all mikra. But Jews understand and we believe that it's Rachme Hashem. 
everything is from Hashem. What Gayim call random, we call godly. Rav Shamsher Fal Hirsch says that the reason why in Sefer Vayikra there's an Aleph Zeira right at the beginning. If you if you look in a in a Tikkun or in a regular Chumash, that's a good Chumash. If it's the word Vayikra is spelled with a small Aleph, and there's Rashi, there's a lot of stuff in what that small Aleph is all about, but. The way Rav Rafael Hirsch interprets it is that Vayikra without an Aleph is basically, sounds like uh, it's a Mikra. It just happens. Vayikra, without an Aleph, Vayikar, Mikra, the Sharish is like very similar to happenstance. But you should know, he says, that when things happen and they seem to be random, what it really is is a calling. It's a Kriya from Hashem. We are called to respond to a certain mission that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us. Everything is a calling, no matter what it is. From the moment we wake up to the morning, and things just are happening to me. Nothing's happening. Nothing happens for no reason. It's all a divine calling. But, he says, you have to put on your, your reading glasses and take out maybe a magnifying glass and a loop in order to see that small aleph, which defines it as a kriya, as a, with an aleph. A mikra with a hay is a happenstance. A mikra or a kriya with an, with an aleph, not with a hay, is a calling. It's a divine message and a signal to you. But you have to be able to really focus on it, to be able to see it as such, because otherwise we'll just walk through life and miss everything. Every message that the Rabbani Shalom sends us is completely over our heads because we didn't bother to read the fine print. And we didn't bother to see that small olive Zeira which tells us that it's not Mikra, it's a Kriya. There was a great Rebbe in Antwerp. His name is Rebiankala from Shevarsk. I remember when I went to Belgium, he was Nifter over the past, I don't know, maybe he was Nifter 15 years ago, I'm not sure exactly. When I went to a friend's chasma in Belgium many years ago, I davened in his shtibol, and he was a tremendous Adam God. He was at Sadiq Yisrael, people came to him from all over the world for brachas. And he used to say the following thing, that Lassid Labai, Achimevesim Shana, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to have certain kindness on us. Why we did certain Averis and why we, did, why we didn't do certain mitzvahs. And we're going to say, well, I didn't know, you know that it was such a big deal. I didn't know that, you know that I was expected not to do that. Or I didn't know that you wanted me to do that. And we think we're going to be able to get away with that. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to show... How many things in life, how many messages he sent us as Musr, things that happened, quote unquote, throughout our life, and you, we completely missed the boat on them. Lamashal. So many times, you know, we wake up in the morning and we get sore throats. 
you know, certain, certain people, myself included, we have sort, sort of like a, uh, a disposition, predisposition to, you know, to getting sore throats very easily. So, what do you do? As soon as you get a sore throat, you know, you get into panic mode, you have to run to get a, uh, you know, strep test, and the doctor, and, you know, the quick test, the rapid test, and you got to get an antibiotics, and, you know, you're busy with, with healing the problem. And Rabbi Ankula says that instead of spending so much time, you know, with the doctors and, and, and going to, you know, get tests and this and that, which is also important, obviously, but he says, there's a reason why Akadosh Baruch Hu gave you that, 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 that throat ache. I don't know what the reason is exactly. You know, I don't think it takes, you know, a rocket scientist to start thinking of possibilities. It, maybe it's, you know, speaking Lashonara, maybe it's Machalas Asuras, maybe, but it's not like, you know, it, it's, it's doable. We could figure it out. Akadosh Baruch Hu is giving us a message and now it's for us to interpret what the message is. A person, you know, has an issue with his foot. So also, you have to know, maybe you're running to do Averis too much. Maybe it's, uh, you know, things. HaKadosh Baruch sends us messages. We're so busy fixing the problem that we don't even realize why the problem started. But sickness is not random. Accidents are not random. People insulting us are not random. A lot of the people, oh, he insulted me. I'm bragging at him. And you know something? You, you could get bragged at the guy all you want. If you want to get insulted at you want to get angry at him, that's your business. But he wasn't doing it some. How could a sparkle put words in his mouth to tell you a message? You know, somebody says, you know what, you're such a balgaiva. Okay, you know, you could get mad at him. You know, you're not going to invite him to your chasma. You know, you're, not, you're never going to speak to him again in your life. But at the same time, listen very closely to what he said, because that might be a message to you that, you know, Taka, maybe it's true. Maybe the Rabbi Hashem sent me a message. Maybe I have to work on my gaiva. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is constantly, constantly sending us these signals. And don't miss the signal. You have to be able to pick up on this. And if you do, then you can change and you can develop and we can morph into better people because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is guiding us and giving us, like, you know, direction in life. But if we say everything is Mikra, nothing really matters, everything is just happenstance, then we've completely missed the boat. That's what I get out of that Bart. Rashi didn't stam see Saris Reich Asusim, but that's what Rashi needed. Rashi needed to see that. That was his entertainment for the day. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had sent Rashi this in order to teach him about the Tavnis HaEfei. It was a message to him. And Rashi was able, according to this chapter, to understand, after at least at first he was befuddled by why this would happen, all of a sudden the light bulb went on and he thought, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent me this to be able to teach me something. Whether it's teaching me Tavnis HaEfei for Rashi or for us, to teach us about different issues that we have to develop, we have to strengthen, we have to realize, we have to change, we have to stop in our life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here. There's something called Hashkacha Pratis, which means that whatever happens, happens for a reason, and nothing is random, everything is for a purpose, and we, as human beings, as Yidin, have to 
take out our reading glasses, read the fine print, and define every moment as being divine and a message for us to do something different or better with our life. Sometimes the messages are very, very clear. The best example of somebody that received like a message that couldn't be clear from the Rabbi Nishalem is Bilam. We don't really have too much opportunity in Yeshiva to speak about Bilam because it's always a summer when we lane parishes Balak. So, you know, I got like a lot of index cards for Sefer Bamidbar and, and Tavarim that are never used. So I got to pull them out once in a while. It's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha also, Parsha's Balak, so I like it. But Bilam is like the ultimate person that got a message from God. How did he get a message from God? Couldn't be clear. It wasn't like, you know, he saw a car accident, he realized, well, you know, I got to do something different. There was a donkey that he was riding on, his faithful donkey. And the donkey opens up his mouth and starts to speak. And starts telling him words of Musa, words of Teichacha, don't go and curse Klai Yisrael, go back home, and you know, what are you doing? The Rebbein Shalom doesn't want you to do this. A clear message, as clear as can be. There's no, you know, there's no more, you know, vivid message than having a donkey begin to speak. It doesn't get better than that, right? Did Bilam listen to the message? Absolutely not. It went right over his head. He didn't do tshuva. It says, Vayasha Bilam, when the Kaimai Laartsai, he went back home, he didn't change, he was the same Bilam. Not only that, he got angry at the donkey, and he started hitting it, he started kicking it, and he completely missed the message. The message was there, it was black and white, and he didn't listen to it. There's a mice that's told about Rip Shlemizam and when he was a very young boy, and he grew up in Shari Chesed, and his parents rented an apartment, a three-bedroom apartment. And they had a growing family, and they needed every room, but one of the bedrooms of the apartment was already being used by a, a couple that were chilonim, they were chalutzim, they were like pioneers that came to settle the land of Eretz Yisrael, and to plant, and to farm and they were moving out of the apartment, but they needed an extra week, and the Arabs already wanted to move in, and they didn't want to kick them out. They were, you know, obviously tzaddikim, the Arabs. So the couple asked them if they would mind terribly if they would continue to stay in the apartment for another week until their place that they were moving to would be ready for them. So Rabbi Tzin Arabach of Shlomo's mother said, it's fine, but on one condition. I noticed that you're not... Tati, you're not you're not religious, and I assume that you're not Shemir Shabbos. On Shabbos, you cannot do malacha in the apartment. It's our apartment; we rent it. You could stay there, but you can't do any malacha on Shabbos. So they agreed. Comes along the first Shabbos, and one of the Auerbachs happened to like be passing by that apartment. They look in, and, and the man is sitting there writing on Shabbos a letter. And Rebbe Tzin Auerbach finds out about this. She gets very upset. 
She says, how could they do that? They promised that they wouldn't be Mechal Shabbos once they're under our roof. And she sends young Shlomo Zalman to go and tell them that they have to leave the apartment because, you know, they didn't stick to their side, part of the, of the bargain. And Shlomo Zalman was, of course, a tzaddik. He was timid. He didn't want to go and start up with these people. But his mother said to do it, so he went. And he knocked on the door and, you know, gingerly just basically said, you know, you agreed that you wouldn't violate Shabbos when you're living by us and, and unfortunately you are and, you know, my mother says you're going to have to leave. He says, what did I do wrong? So, well, you were writing. He says, writing is forbidden on Shabbos? He says, absolutely. It's one of the major malachas of Shabbos. He says, well, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Tell your mother I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I, I just didn't know. I, I, I didn't know any better. So, Rabbi Shalom Zalman says, okay, I'll go tell her. And Rabbi Shalom Zalman was like a bit, you know, confused how somebody that's a Jew couldn't, didn't know such a basic thing. And I guess the, this chalutz saw that on Rabbi Shalom Zalman's face and he says, I want you to know, I might not know halacha like you do. He says, but I have as much emuna as you do, if not more in the Rabbi Nishlamim. So Shlomo Zalman says, could you explain that a little bit? He says, yeah, let's take a walk. So they took a walk together on Shabbos afternoon in Shari Chesed, and they walked through, you know, the various, um, you know, back then it wasn't, it was probably a lot of empty space, a lot of farmland, and, and um, you know, Gansako is right there. And they took a walk, they took a Shvatsir on Shabbos, and he said, I want to tell you the story, what happened to me says, I was born in Russia and I was drafted into the Russian army. In the Russian army, I was fighting a lot against the enemy and killing a lot of other people and we were very often in a foxhole. And me and my fellow soldiers were fighting and we were shooting and then we would stop shooting. There would be like a little bit of a ceasefire for people to rest and the fighting would begin again. And I was there together with two yeshiva bachrim. And I was always nervous because, you know, who knows what the day would bring if I would stay alive or die. And these two yeshiva bachrim, between the, the fighting, they would take out their sefer tehillim and they would read it and they would, you'd see that they would just be serene. They would have a certain peace about them because they had such a moon on the rabbi Shalom. And I was so upset that I didn't have that chinuch that they had. And I had tainus against my father for bringing me up as a Russian and a, a communist and I, you know, without any chinuch. And I wasn't able to have that support system of, of friends and Yiddishkeit and, and Tehillim and Tfilah. And one day in the foxhole, I said to the Rabbi Shalom, I made God a deal. And I said, if you exist, and you want me to be Dati, and you want me to go and after the war enroll in the yeshiva and learn about Yiddishkeit, about Yadus, I want you to send a bullet that would graze my finger, and that will be my sign that you exist, and that would be my key to know that I will go to yeshiva after the war is over, and I'll get a good education, I'll become, I'll become from. 
He said a minute later, there was a, a single bullet that was fired from the enemy side. My hand was like standing, it was in a certain position. And the thing, the bullet, that single bullet grazed the side of my finger. And he showed him Shlomo Zalman how that finger is still dead. It didn't work anymore. He says, I was nishtaymeim. I couldn't believe what just happened to me. A clear message like Bilam got. And I was determined to follow through on my part of the pledge. And I said, when I come out of the army, when this war is over, I am going to enroll in yeshiva. I'm going to shtayg. I'm going to learn. I'm going to get from. I'm going to get Yerushalayim. He says, then after the war was over, a couple of weeks later, I was going to go to yeshiva, but I realized that I only had three months left in agriculture school, which I had started before the war, to finish up my degree in agriculture and farming. So I don't think we offer that degree here. But I said, you know, I, I'd want a parnasa and... You know, and it's Chaval, I'll be able to get my degree in agriculture, and then I'll be able to go to yeshiva and learn. And I started, like, having these cheshpainas, and that's what I decided to do. I'll go and learn after the three months are over. So I went back to agriculture school, and I, and I finished my degree, and by then it was already, you know, I already had cooled down. The Osiris of the moment had passed, even though I mamish saw the Yad Hashem literally that day in the foxhole and I had promised God that I would do this it didn't happen that way and that's and then I I, I became uh, I, I came there to Israel I started planting and agriculture and and here I am and I still don't know anything I never went to yeshiva I never learned anything but I still have amuna and my amuna is stronger than yours and this is a lesson for us because sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends signals that are so clear, there is no way of misinterpreting them. It's so obvious. And maybe if we think in our own life of things that happen to us, we'll be able to see, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because that similar thing happened to me. I saw the Yad Hashem, but when you see the Yad Hashem, you have to immediately study it like a black tomorrow and you have to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending you a clear signal and you have to react to it. You cannot let the moment pass because once the moment passes, it's over. I bet you we all have hundreds of stories of Ashkacha Pratis in our lives and Bishas Maisai, like it dawned on us that this is clearly from Hashem, but I bet you no one in the room could give me more than one or two stories of Ashkacha Pratis. You know why? Because the moment passed. And you didn't write it down, you weren't Kaibayat. There are people that keep special ledgers in their pockets that every time something remotely unusual happens to them and they see the Yad Hashem, they write it down because that's the only way you retain it. Otherwise, the HR right away takes out his eraser and his squeegee and, you know, starts, starts cleaning it up because he doesn't want you to remember that there is a Yad Hashem in your life. But so many things happen to us, we just have to observe them more carefully. I once heard a cute bar, like, you know, somebody said, why, why do all, like, the, the interesting stories happen to, like, Rabbi Krohn or Rabbi Frand? Or, like, it just happened to be, like, they were standing online in a supermarket and the guy in front of him, you know, said a certain thing and, you know, how come that never happens to me? Always happens to just certain rabbis, you know. 
It happens to all of us. The difference is that they're in the business of sharing these things with people. So Mamela, they remember it and they and they look into it and they make these observations about life. And we do not always make these observations because they're not as precious to us. But it happens to us just as much, if not more. And it's just a matter of being able to realize and appreciate exactly what is happening and why it's happening. Sometimes, eventually, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets his way. There's a Misa that's told about a certain Chiloni in Eretz Yisrael who he was in charge of like the, the Chifetz Chashud sappers. You know, they have in Eretz Yisrael, every time there's somebody leaves like a briefcase or a, a knapsack or a lunch bag, you know, in a public place, they always, of course, and rightfully so, they start getting into panic mode that it might be a chevitz chashur, it might be a bomb. And so when they do that, they cordon off the whole street, whether it's a busy street or not a busy street, and they bring in this like robotic type of invention that like moves in and it covers like a, like sort of like a bulldozer covers over the bomb or the potential bomb and then it makes like a mini explosion and, and that way it's able to detonate any potential threat um, from, from the street and there was a Chiloni that was, that was his job he was the, in charge of the bomb sapping unit and he was amazed because every single time there was a chevetz chashud, and let's say it was like a, a yeshiva bacher that left his his you know a, a, a talis bag or a uh, you know or a knapsack containing tefillin in it. So the bomb sapper would make this explosion, but the tefillin never exploded. The tefillin always remained intact, one time after another. Everything else was charred to a crisp. Everything, you know, whether it was, you know, the lunch and the books and the whatever, everything was charred except for the tefillin. And it was like, he was becoming like, almost like a full balchuba, but he never really took the, the last step to do it. He was like, but he was also very nisayur from this. And he was sort of on the fence, he wasn't sure, should he become, you know, it's, it's a lot easier for us in the base matters here to say, oh, of course you have to be from, but for people to, you know, even if you see certain things, it's a very big you know, jump and leap to take to, to, to take it from the Eilam HaMachshavah to the Eilam HaMaisa and actually, you know, act through it on it to become from and change your whole life and, and you know, sort of explain to your family that you're, you're going to be from now and all your friends and whatever. It's, it's very difficult. He says, one day I sapped out a bomb and I opened, afterwards I was looking through the rubble and I saw a Tanakh and the Tanakh was taka burnt. He says, oh, Baruch Hashem. He says, now I don't have to be from. He says, because, you know, yeah, I saw a lot of film that stayed intact, but here's a Tanakh, it's a Jewish book, it's the book of God, and it's burnt to a crisp. So Baruch Hashem, I could say a chiloni, that, you know, it's, it happened, it was just a mikra with a hay. But then he took out his reading glasses, and he looked carefully on the binding of the book, that was still intact. And it said on the binding of the book, Tanakh Brit HaChadashah, which means the New Testament. It was the Old Testament, and it was the New Testament. He said, Ay, vey. He says, now I gotta be from. 
And he taka, he was he, he became a chayzer b'tshuva from that. The messages are sometimes so clear, and sometimes you know you you, sh- you can't avoid it. You still do avoid it, but you shouldn't be able to because the messages are so crisp and so clear that it has to make us change. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is sending us these signals. And speaking about Rabbi Krohn, he has a great story in, in one of his books. Um, and the story goes that there was a Balchuba who I mean, started, I think, in Partners in Torah, and then he went to um, Eretz Yisrael, to Machon Shlomo, to continue his learning. And he heard a shear from, I think, uh, Rabbi Rosenberg, who was Shimon Schwab's son-in-law, who was Rashiva there, and it was a shir on tzitzis. And he was explaining how tzitzis is really the gematria 613 and explaining how the knots and the strings and the this. And it's all, you know, it all adds up to 613. He was very impressed. And he made up his mind that he was macabre on himself that never, ever would he miss a day of wearing tzitzis. And, okay, he, he, he left Eretz Yisrael. He came back to America and he lived in Silver Spring, and then he, I think he commuted every day to his office in Virginia, and he was driving on the road and in the morning, and he had a sudden craving for coffee. Now, that's not unusual, but normally he would have his first cup of coffee when he got to work in the office. But here he was like passing by and there was like a certain, I don't know, maybe like a 7-Eleven or something. He just got a tremendous pipe to have a cup of coffee in his car. So he pulls off to the side of the road by this intersection in the highway. And he, um, you know, and he buys himself a cup of coffee. He gets back into his car and it was like a stick shift car. And he was trying to like do the stick shift and hold on to his coffee and drink the coffee all at once. And the whole cup of coffee like spilled all over him. He got all burnt. Besides for that, his shirt got all dirty. And he couldn't go to work with like a coffee-stained shirt. So basically, he had to turn the car around and drive all the way back home. And to put on a clean shirt. And as he was taking off his shirt, all of a sudden he sees that he had forgotten to put tzitzis on that day. And he was so like amazed that he was able to, you know, the Rabbi Yisrael was mamsi him this taiva to have coffee, which made him go and, and buy the coffee, drink the coffee in the car, spill the coffee on his shirt, and then have to change his shirt and only to realize that he had forgotten to put his tzitzis on. And that would be a pretty good story. But he put his tzitzis on, he put his shirt on, and the story continues that he went back driving in that direction, and at that intersection that, you know, that where he pulled off to buy that cup of coffee, there was a big sign on the road right there, and it said, Four Corners. That was the name of the intersection. Four Corners is the Dalakanfes. That's another Remez Tzitzis. And the point is that wherever we go, sometimes the signs are very, very clear. Sometimes we're able to see things so vividly, and it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu sending us these messages and messages and bombarding us with messages. And it's just a matter of being able to see them as being a calling, a divine calling to react 
as opposed to seeing it as a mikra with a hay, which sort of just makes everything bland, everything godless, everything happenstance. You know, it's interesting. We don't always get out enough, Baruch Hashem. In yeshiva, you know, we don't have these, these stories that we're driving on the road and seeing four corners and sapping bombs and, you know, being able to do all this, all this cool stuff. So where do we get our messages from? Granted, you know, we, we're, we're out enough that we're able to see plenty, but still, a lot of our messages come from our learning. The Ramban writes in his Igaris, in his famous letter, the Igaris, the Igaris Ramban, he says, Whenever you learn something and you, you, know, you get your nose out of the Sefer for a second, think about what you learned. If there's something from what you learned that you could practically apply, that that can mean simply, you know, whatever you learn, you know, try to see if you could put it into action. But I think the Ramban also means something deeper. That whenever we learn something, whenever we see a Sefer, whenever we're learning something, whenever we hear a Shmuz, think about whether or not there's a message for me personally in that Shmuz or in that Sefer. Whether it's a Musr Sefer, whether it's Halacha Sefer, whether it's a Gemara, whether it's a Baba Kama, whether it's a Sukkah, whatever it is. See when you get up from learning, is there something, is there a message? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us messages through the Torah itself. Through what we're learning, we're able to see messages. We're able to hear messages. We're able to hear Teichacha that's directed, not Stam. We could, you know, there's two ways of learning Musr. You could either learn Musr and say it's like a, you know, an intellectual pursuit. And it's talking to Yenim. It's talking to this guy and that, you know, we're learning about Gaiva. Okay, we ha- just happened to be up to Gaiva today, and we're learning about Gaiva, and it's like to him, it's like to him. I'm just learning Mitzvah Shem. I'll be to learn Mitzvah Or it might be that the reason why we're learning Mitzvah Shem of all Svarim, and why I'm up to the part of Mitzvah Shem that he's focusing about Nebus and Gaiva, is because maybe I have to work on myself a little bit. So many times I give either a Vad or a Shmuz. I'd say it happens to me at least twice a week on average, at least. I give a vat or a shmuz, and guys come over to me afterwards, kid you not, and they say, Rabbi, you have Ruach HaKadosh. I say, what do you mean? So this is an issue that I have been dealing with, I have been wrestling with this issue this week of all weeks, and here you are, you're speaking about this very, how did you know? Maybe I have to learn that that Gaiva, but I say to him, it's not me. I don't know what's going on in your private life, but the Rebbeinah Shalom is puts words and ideas into people's mouths to send people messages. And everybody takes messages in different ways. But I don't direct a message at anybody. If I happen to choose a shtickle in her palm safer or a shtickle about simcha or a vart today on the parasha and it, it's nagea you, that's because the Rebbeinah Shalom put you in the room today and put these ideas into my mind in order to give it to you, in order to teach you a lesson, in order to teach me a lesson. Everything that we hear, everything that we learn, means something. It's important. Tyra itself 
It's the Dvar Hashem that we're learning. You don't have to go and be a bomb sapper or, 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 or be shot by a bullet in a foxhole somewhere in order to get a message from the Rabbi Hashem. The Rabbi Hashem gives us the Dvar Hashem through his Torah, and we're Zaycha to be reading the Torah every day. When you get an Aliyah from the Torah, see what, what you just leaned about. Maybe there's a message for us. Maybe we can darshan something that a reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me that Aliyah, a reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, just made me randomly take off a certain safe on a shelf and look at that, at that shtickle and say, wait a minute, how did that happen? It happens all the time. And I think you know that it happens all the time. You just have to think about it a little bit. But we have to listen to these messages. And we have to understand how everything is Miyad Hashem. There's a great story that's told by Rabbi Reisman, who, you know, the, he gives a famous Nabi Shir, and he's also the Rabbi Nashir in Flatbush. And this is like my favorite story of his. I told this story to Rabbi Kron, and he loved the story also. So that means it's a really good story. Um, he said that there was a, a balabas that came into a shul one morning and he was all upset very upset about something so he says what's bothering you he says well I was supposed to catch a plane today take a business trip somewhere and I, I had traffic on the road and I um, and I missed my flight and now I'm very upset I have to, you know, I have to, I have to rebook it and they didn't have a flight the whole day so I have to go tomorrow and I missed out on very important meetings etc, etc very upset so Rabbi Reisman asked him he says, let me ask you a question let's say you're driving home today right now from Shul and you turn on 1010 Winds and on the radio all of a sudden it says that that, I don't know, Spirit Airlines that you were supposed to go on you know, crash, and all the people on board die. How would you, you know, what would be your reaction then? Oh, I make a big kiddush this Shabbos in Shul. I missed the flight. Baruch Hashem, Ashkach HaPratis, the Rebbe Hashem loves me, he's watching me. He's so Rabbi Reisman says, you Russia. He says, 250 people have to lose their life in order for you to make a kiddush in Shul? In order for us to see the Yad Hashem, it has to be like this awe-inspiring, you know, moments of divine super clarity. We have to develop eyes and minds that see HaKadosh Baruch Hu in simpler things. Even when things happen and we don't see like immediately the, you know, in clear neon lights how this is the Yad Hashem, we have to still understand that it's the Yad Hashem. We have to be able to see through the mere fact that I missed my flight. I should say, there's a Ratzin Hashem here. And I'm seeing, I'm getting a message from the Rabbi that he loves me because something else might have happened that I, it doesn't have to happen. Just because you don't see the bang doesn't mean that it wasn't for a purpose. We have to train ourselves. This Wednesday morning, there was that sleet, you know, the whole night it was icy and sleety. And the day before we made the Siam of Mesechus Yuma, and I got up, you know, by the breakfast, and I made a fire and brimstone, heartfelt, you know, drusha, everybody's got to join the daf, and tomorrow morning we're going to start sukkah, we're going to finish a week after Purim, it's going to be geshmat. And I had to do homework 
with Shlomo that morning. My son, he had a big uh, math test that he had to study for, and I'm the big mathematician in my house. So I, you know, woke up at six o'clock in the morning, and I, you know, I was going over this algebra, whatever it is, and then, you know, ten minutes to say, Shlomo, I got to go to yeshiva. I have to get to the dot. Normally, I give myself one minute to get to yeshiva. Today, I gave myself ten minutes because it was icy. So I, you know, I, I back up the car out of my driveway, and I'm stuck. You know, there is no traction. This front-wheel drive is worth nothing because it just makes the, the, the front wheel spin and you can't, like normally with a normal car, be able to go back and forth, back and forth until I get out. Here it's like it was just, I was literally spinning my wheels for like an hour. And I was going crazy because I knew that I had all these guys coming. And then, of course, uh, a loyal Talmud of mine um, sends me a, a text message showing me like there's 15, 20 guys sitting here waiting. And I re- that really made me feel great. And uh, he meant well, but... And um, and I was like so upset. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, how, this morning of Walmart Sukkah is going to be like the breakthrough. This is going to be it. We're going to, you know, the Sheer Klali is going to look like there's nobody compared to the Dafyaymi. <laughs> and I was like really, really angry. And I was upset at Shlaimla for having that math test. And like, why did you, you know, like if it wasn't for that math, I would have walked to Yeshiva and I would have like. And my wife, like, why didn't you shovel? And, and, then, and then, and then, can we delete this part of the video? And then, all of a sudden, my wife says, You don't know why you couldn't get out this morning. You think that you know that you should have been yeshiva, you should have been giving the dab, you should have been driving. Um, how do you know that, Khalila, this couldn't have happened, that couldn't have happened? A million things could happen. We take it for granted. Of course, I'll get out of my drive. I'll be able to drive safely to Yeshua. How do you know? We have to stop waiting for like the, the Bila moments in our life and be able to see the, the more subtle moments in our life and be able to see messages even when there is no major banner headline, but even when it's just a little fine print, we could put on glasses and say, it's all Mi'ad Hashem. Everything is Mi'ad Hashem. That is what we have to work on in our life. And when we see all of these little messages from HaKadosh Baruch that He's sending us every single moment, that means that He loves us. He cares about us. And He's sending us like little love notes every minute, whatever happens, whether it's good or bad, or whether we think it's good. It's all good. We just perceive it sometimes as being bad, but it's all kankulot There's just one caveat before I end. There's one thing that I have to say because... It's very important not to, you know, end without saying such a, an important disclaimer. There are some things in life that we have to understand needs people greater than us to be able to decipher messages. I'll give you an example. In this week's parsha, there was something called the Ur Mutum inside of this Chayshen was a little slip of paper which had the Shem Hashem on it, the Yudke Vavke, and it was called the Ur Mitumim, and it made, when the Kayin Gadol asked it a question, it was like the coolest machine in the world. It was like a, a fortune-telling machine. And you're able to look at the at the Cheshen and be able to see, all of a sudden lights would start blinking, it would be like the, you know, like the old notion of a computer. You know, before we have computers, like when you're, the, there would be like beeping lights and then it would come up with something. You know, and you'd have the the ISIS of all of the Shvatim and the names of the Shvatim and the Ramban goes into explaining exactly how it worked. 
and the kind Gadol would ask it, and the kind, and it would see the answer, and then it would it would know what the Das Torah is to do with Klal Yisrael going to Muhammad, not going to Muhammad, etc. Zoktevil Nagain. When Eli Akayim saw Chana, and her lips were moving, but she wasn't emitting a voice in the famous scene that we lay in on in the Aftar Hashanah before the birth of Shmuel, when she was davening to, and beseeching the Rabbi Yisham to give her a son. Eli thought that she was a drunkard. I mean, and then what happened was that she says, no, I'm not drunk, but rather I'm just very sad, and she explained that she wanted a child so badly. Isha kishes ruach I'm, I'm just a broken woman. I'm not, I'm not a Shikaira. What was going on over here? What was the Shaklavataya? Zaktavil Nagain. Ailey was the Kayan Gadol. He had the Chesh and he had the Urmatumim. And he saw Khan, he didn't know what to make of her. And all of a sudden he asked the Urmatumim, like, what's her story? And the light started going on and he saw the letters Shin Chaf Reish and he read Shikaira. He thought that she was a Shikar. She was a drunkard. And she says, no, you misread it. I'm not a Shikaira. I'm an Ishak Shera. You have to read it the right way. It's Chav Shin Reishay, not Shin Chav Reishay. I'm an Ishak Shera. I'm just, I'm just in desperate need for a child. But I'm a Shera. I'm not drunk. I'm as sober as can be. I'm too sober. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends us certain messages... We have to make sure that we're interpreting the messages right. Because we don't have always the, the overarching, you know, Das Torah to understand everything that we see. I'll give you a, a very, very pedestrian example. Not so pedestrian, it's very important, but, you know, I'll give you, it's very typical. A person goes out with a girl on a Shidduch date. And, you know, you, you're going out with a girl, and the girl, you know, is saying things and like all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're discussing things. All of a sudden you realize that, you know, her great-grandfather grew up in the same general vicinity in, you know, in Poland as your great-grandfather. And, you know, and her father happened to go to a, you know, to, a, to the same yeshiva as your uncle. And your father's shoe size, her father's shoe size is the same as your great-uncle's shoe size. And you see, you know, you start seeing all these, you know, it's Yad Hashem, it's it has to be. She says, I don't know. I mean, yeah, maybe, 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 or maybe, you know, maybe you're getting yourself into something that you shouldn't. Maybe she's not the right girl for you. Just because you see Simonim, you have to know how to read the Simonim. The Briskarov says this far. The Briskarov says that after, you know, Eliezer, you know, he said, he, he said that whoever is the girl that's going to come down to the well or whatever, she's the girl that's going to, and sure enough, just like as if Rivka was reading from the script, she comes down from the well and she does this and she does that. But she, he only gave her the Nizamim and the Tabas to propose to her only after she actually carried out all the Chesed. The fact that she had come, she, first she says that she's Miyuchas, you know, she comes from Abraham Avinu's family, and it, that didn't matter so much. I don't care, says the Bristram, about Isis and Mosem when it comes to, when it comes to Shidduchim, you have to go by the Midas. You have to real, first of all, see that she's the right girl for you. And that she's a fine, good, Erlacha person. 
after that, if she has all of that, and now plus, you know, you're reading all the signs, and the, that's good. Maybe I can struggle, but you can't always define and decipher all, especially not in the big things. You know, the major issues that you have to decide about in life, you need to go to Das Torah and this, you can't say, well, of course uh, this is meant to be. Of course I should be a doctor because I just passed by, you know, I just was driving on Main Street. I saw three doctors' offices and Sariah Kamakas probably wants me to be a doctor. <coughs> you know, you could get carried away with these Simonim. Simonim are true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is certainly sending us Simonim. The problem is that sometimes we read the Simonim wrong. With our reading glasses, we still are not always able to interpret everything right. So, there are, what I'm saying is like this. It sounds like I'm sending you major mixed messages. And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to make a split like this. When it comes to things that are obvious, when it comes to, you know, you open up a safe and the safe says, you know, speaks about Gaiva or speaks about something else, Lashon Hara, and you know that you're having a big problem with Lashon Hara. Or, you know, all of a sudden you're developing like major flare-ups on your tongue and you're wondering what it's from and you're going to the doctor's it's probably from Lashonara, and it's something to good, good to start working on. I don't think that you need a second opinion about that. But when it comes to major life-altering decisions, even when you see Simonim, make sure that you're reading it as Kshaira, not as Shikaira. Because you could really get messed up, and Akhadosh Baruch might not mean that. And so you have to have a combination. You have to have eyes that are open and ears that are open to hearing and seeing the Dvar Hashem in the things that we're learning, in the things that we're witnessing, in the things that are, we're experiencing. That's all true. But don't walk away and think that you could be your own Pisic about the major issues in life. When it comes to major issues, you have to have a, a Rebbe. If you want to tell your Rebbe the Simanim and the reason why you think that it's a good idea, bad idea, etc., that's fine. And maybe that will add to, to something. But you have to make sure that you're reading the Simanim right. We don't, we're not, even the Kayin Gadol we see made mistakes when he was reading the Ermitomim. So we have to make sure that there are Simanim and that we're aware of the Simanim, that we see the Yad Hashem in everything. But at the same time, we always have to be careful to have a Rebbe, to have a Rav, to have Gedalim to go to and to make sure that we're getting the simanim and the messages exactly right. And Amir Hashem, if we can combine all of these lessons that we learned today, we could be much more observant Jews. Jews that are very, that don't see anything as happenstance, that nothing is just stam. Nothing is stam. Everything is for a reason, everything is for a purpose. The Rebbe Hashem loves us, and therefore He's guiding our every single step of life. Halavai, we should be able to have such eyes, like Rashi had eyes, to be able to see things and plug them in in the right places. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we should have a wonderful Shabbos.